Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to just um, shift lanes from the first service and just preach something that I feel God's put on my heart for the second service. And I've been told that the people in the 11 a.m. service are the people who are well slept. They've had a good breakfast. They've had a few coffees. They're the most responsive service in all of Numa Church. Forget it, the 9 a.m. was more responsive. They're the most responsive service in all of Numa Church. There we go, there we go. And uh, Sarah sends her love. She would have loved to have been here this weekend, but uh, we've got four young kids aged seven and under. And uh, so that kind of keeps us pretty occupied at the moment. Uh, Our eldest son is Hugo. His name means bright in mind and spirit. We called him that when we were young, energetic, soon-to-be parents. Our fourth child is called Olive, which means peace. And so that kind of gives you a bit of a picture of our parenting spectrum. So she sends her love and uh, is certainly praying for services today. Well, it's not often that I'm tempted to lie. Uh, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher. It is not compatible with my job description. But there is one point in conversations when I'm often tempted to lie. It's when I'm sitting on an aeroplane or chatting with someone and they say, what do you do for work? And it's at that point that I'm tempted to make something up because when I say that I'm a pastor, that can start all the wrong conversations and stop all the right conversations, if you know what I mean. And so it's not often that I'm tempted to lie, but... My fear is that when people hear that I'm a pastor, they're gonna put me into some little box. They're gonna look at me and think that a pastor is the full entirety of who I am. In fact, when you're a pastor, it's a unique vocation. You'll be walking through the shopping centre and you'll see people from your church and they'll look at you as you're walking through the shopping centre and they'll spot you about 30 metres off and they're like, what are you doing here? Why aren't you at church? It's like, I, I get out, I go places too. Uh, people come over to our house and may, they might open the pantry and they're like, you, you've got like other foods in here as well. I thought you just had bread and wine. I thought, thought that's all you... Because they understand a part of me, uh, being a pastor is a part of who I am, but it's not the, the, the entirety of who I am. Have you ever heard someone say, well, you're two-faced? Ever heard that kind of slight? You're a two... If someone says to me, Dustin, you're two-faced, I say, give me like more credit than that. I'm at least three-faced. Because if you're to understand who I am, there is, there is a very real part of who I am that is a pastor. And if you're going to understand Dustin Bell, you've got to understand the face of Dustin the pastor. That's part of who I am. But, but there's another face to Dustin Bell, which is Dustin the husband. And the way that I speak to my wife is different to the way that I speak to the congregation. Because it would be inappropriate and I'd have my credential removed if I spoke to the... You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's different. And then there is the face of Dustin the son. And the way that I speak to my mother is different to the way that I speak to my wife and different again to the way, to the, the way that I speak to our church because if you're gonna understand who I am, I've got at least three faces and I would dare suggest you've got at least three, four, maybe five different faces. And if you only know one dimension of my personhood or my personality, that's going to change and narrow the terms by which you will approach and engage with me. Well, if it's true that you and I can have two or three or four faces, wouldn't it also be true that Jesus could have multiple faces? That there could be multiple facets to His divine personality? And if you and I are going to understand and approach Jesus in the fullness of who He is, we have to understand the three faces of Jesus. Now, the three faces of Jesus are not arbitrary, they're not abstract, in fact, 
They're the perfect fulfillment of three Old Testament positions or offices, which are the office of prophet. Everyone say prophet. Priest, everyone say priest. And king, everyone say king. And so this morning, in the next 30 minutes, I wanna talk to you about the three faces of Jesus. And then we're gonna open up an opportunity to respond. And I believe there's gonna be many people in this service who are gonna open up our hearts in a fresh way to a part of the person of Jesus. Do you love Jesus this morning? You love the Word of God this morning? And so the first part, the first face of Jesus is this. If we're gonna understand who He is, He is Jesus, our prophet, who speaks to us. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible, the purpose of the prophet in the Old Testament, that's the portion of the Bible before Jesus was born, the the purpose of the prophet was to speak God's Word to the people. In fact, the prophet told God's truth unswervingly and consequently, the prophets would polarise the people. The prophets were either loved or they were hated. The prophets were God's spokespeople. They were courageous. They weren't intimidated by anyone. They didn't care whether you approved of them or not. In fact, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, his name was Isaiah. God spoke to Isaiah and told him to walk around the nation of Israel naked for three years as a walking, talking sermon illustration about the spiritual condition of Israel. Just while you're pondering that, be grateful God never gave that word to your pastors. But I didn't care because all he cared about was being true to what God had told him to say. One of the greatest prophets was John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't care about opinion polls or political correctness. In fact, when John the Baptist saw the religious who's who of his era, he called them a brood of vipers. Now, I've read How to Win Friends and Influence People and that ain't in there. But John didn't care because if you're a prophet, you had one job and that was to speak the truth. You see, prophets didn't care about approval ratings or political correctness because they were loyal to the truth. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Anyone grateful that we've got a speaking God? God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken completely, full tense, to us by His Son. That's why in John's Gospel alone, over 50 times, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. You see, the prophet was committed to speaking truth, not because he was hard-hearted, but because he loved the people. And if you really love someone, you're able to deliver truth to them, irrespective of how they respond. Now, truth is something that our generation is struggling with because we are growing up in a culture that places a higher value on tolerance than on truth, a higher value on being amicable than on being accurate. But I'm so glad that we serve a God who is secure enough within Himself that He is willing to tell us the truth about our condition and then leave the response to us. Do you catch what I'm saying this morning? A number of years ago, we were coming into the Christmas season in church. And uh, if you're a pastor, the Christmas season is pretty busy. It's a bit like grand final week. And uh, I was getting really bad headaches in the lead into Christmas. And I figured, oh, it must just be an end of year thing. Maybe I'm tired. And, uh, and so I said to my wife, babe, like my head is just really sore. It feels like every day it's getting, like it's like a vice on my head. It's getting tighter every day. And uh, she's like, well, just take some Panadol and get through it. And so I got through Christmas services. And then she's like, all right, you can go to the, the doctor now. I said, are you kidding? It's Boxing Day. I've got cricket to watch. And, and so... <laughs> 
I, I, I toughed it out on the couch watching the cricket. And then by the third, who knows, who knows, there is nothing so miserable as a man with a man flu or, or sick or tired. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I was just wretched on the couch. And uh, so, so my wife says, go to the doctor. Now, the reason why I went to the doctor is because I'd noticed something. I didn't just have a headache. I'd noticed that, and I'm going to let you into the, the circle of trust here, Numa. I, I had a rash behind my ear. I appreciate the silence, thank you. Because when a grown man admits to having a rash in a public forum, it deserves silence. So I, I noticed this rash behind my ear. Sarah's like, oh, you need to go to the doctor. And so, so I went to the doctor during the lunch break of the cricket. And so I get to the doctor's um, GP office and uh, you know when you get to the GP office, they charge you $190 for a 10 minute consult, but they've still got the Women's Weekly from 1994 there. I'm like, no way, Brad and Andrew together, that's amazing. And so like, I'm, I'm angry, I'm ticked off. No man wants to go and pay money to get told what's wrong with him. I don't need to do that. I've got a mother-in-law. And so like, I'm, I'm not happy. And uh, the doctor comes out. And you know when you've got an attitude, he's got a stanky attitude from the start. And so he comes out and he's wearing these big boots. And I'm like, you don't even need boots. You never go outside. Like, I'm just, I'm just angry. And uh, he goes, Dunstan Bell. I was like, it's, it's Dustin. He goes, okay, Justin, come on through. And uh, now I'm even more annoyed. And I get into the office and he, um, he sits down on his swivel chair and he goes, so, uh, so Dunstan, what's the problem? And uh, my wife goes, he's got a rash. I'm like, babe. Uh, I said, I've got a headache. And you know, it's a slight rash. And then this man did something that I don't care how many degrees you've got after your name. It's never okay to do this. He leaned over and he ran his finger slowly behind my ear. This is weird. And then, and then he got back into his swivel chair, turned around and started typing things into his computer. I'm like, let me guess, you're Googling it. And so he, he does his thing. And, uh, and then he turns back around and he goes, well, Dustin, Here's what you've got. You've got shingles. At that moment, my wife just inched away a little bit. I said, shingles? What shingles? He goes, it's part of the herpes family. I said, well, what a magnificent family to be a part of. How do I explain that to the business manager at church? I got, I got inducted into the herpes family over the Christmas break. Like, and uh, and so, so he tells me what I need to do and, and I get home and my wife is just like, like, I'm like, babe, what was all that in sickness and in health business? And she's like, get out of here. And so she puts me in the spare room. She, maybe, she like put a sheet on the couch where I was allowed to lie. I don't know what she meant by this, but every time I walked through the house, I had to say um, unclean. I don't know what she meant by that, but... Because it was the Christmas season, New Year's season, she's like, well, it's New Year's, I'm gonna go hang out with the friends. And so I figured I was shingle and ready to mingle. And um, because my surname is Bell and it was Christmas, people were calling me Shingle Bells, which I thought was, was just cruel. And uh, so I had to prop up my sense of identity. So I came up with the name Hercules. I thought that was a lot stronger, a lot more masculine. Truth is when, when that doctor turned around in his swivel chair, looked me in the eyes and said, you've got shingles, that was the last thing I wanted to hear. But in hindsight, thank God that he was truthful enough and secure enough to tell me not what I wanted to hear, but what I needed to hear. Because there is no way I could have been cured of my condition unless he told me the truth. Aren't you grateful that the Bible says that Jesus is our great physician. And because he is our prophet and physician, he loves us enough to tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear. We are in a culture where everyone wants to tell you, yeah, the real problem with you, it's not you. It's the, the government. The problem with is not you. It's your parents. It's not you. It's that you're not getting enough support. And yet Jesus cuts right through all of that 
And Jesus says in Matthew 15, you know what the problem is? It's out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. Who knows, Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. And our responsibility is how we respond to that truth. The Puritans used to have a saying that went like this, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And when the Word of God is spoken into our lives, our responsibility is how we respond to the Word of God. And some of us harden our hearts and say, well, I don't believe that. I don't want to follow that. I don't want to submit to that. And others of us soften our hearts in response to the Word of God. And, and, and here's what I want us to see. The health of your soul will be proportionate to the health of your relationship to the Word of God. And Jesus, our prophet, loves us enough that His Word is health and life to us. There'll be people in church this morning and you know that God has been trying to get your attention, maybe for days, weeks or months. God's been speaking to you about an area of your life and you've been hardening, hardening, hardening your heart towards it. Can I say, today, if you hear His voice, Don't harden your heart like Israel did in the rebellion, but soften your heart. Be receptive to the Word of God because I've learned every time God speaks a word into my heart, even if I don't wanna hear it, even if it's a blow to my pride, it always results in health and life in the long run. Firstly, Jesus is our prophet who speaks to us. Number two, Jesus is our priest who walks with us. Now, today when we hear the term priest, we, we, we think black robes and a white collar, We think someone removed from everyday life who really has nothing to do with everyday life. I brought with me Jake, who's from the Sunshine Coast. Jake's come looking for a girlfriend this weekend in Melbourne. And so just give Jake a round of applause. There we go, there we go, he's a good man. Jake and I were hanging out last night with Pastor Corey and the team and and afterwards he goes, man, if I didn't know better, these guys would look like a group of drug dealers. Like the car they're driving, the tattoos, the shoes, the clothes. Because when we think about the word priest, we think about someone in like black robes, white collar, someone completely, when we think about the word priest, we think about someone who has basically nothing in common with me, is what we think of when we hear the word priest. Um, A number of years ago, I I moved to Townsville. I grew up in Victoria, uh, near Mildura. Moved to Queensland in 99, moved to Townsville in 2013. God's just moving me progressively north. I think I'm gonna end up in Port Moresby. And... uh, and when I moved to Townsville, I decided to um, pick up my illustrious AFL career once again. And uh, so I started playing AFL and uh, went to the first training session for the Townsville University Hawks. And they're like, hey, mate, what's your name? I said, Dustin. They're like, welcome, Dunstan. Great to have you on team. And, um, and then they said the question that people always ask is the second question, so what do you do? I thought this is going to be interesting because it wasn't really a sanctified gathering of young men. And I said, um, I'm a pastor. They're like, a what? I said, I'm a pastor. They're like, is that like a priest? I said, sure, yeah, like a priest. And, and they, they didn't know how to grapple with this because I actually said to them, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm the only priest on the team. They were like, yeah, mate, you're definitely the only priest on the team. <laughs> and so the first year that I was playing for the team, we won the grand final. I oh, know, you can connect the dots. And, and so... we. <laughs> We won the grand final, and I kid you not, all the guys are selling. Have you noticed how men who would never even give each other a hug normally, you get them on a sporting field, they're hugging, they're slapping, they're tapping, they're like hands everywhere. And so we went there, everyone's hugging and they're singing the song and doing all of that. And, and, and I kid you not, one of the guys in the middle of the grand final celebrations stops and goes, boys, boys, the reason we won is because we've got God on our side. 
I said, I'm flattered, but call me Dustin. And so after, after one particular game, um, a guy came up to me in the, the change rooms. He's just got like his towel around him. He's come out of the shower. He's looking a bit like nervous. And he goes, you're like a, like a priest, right? I said, yeah. He goes, do you do confessionals? <laughs> Generally, I don't, but I wasn't going to let this go. I was like, sure, absolutely, my son, I, I do confessionals. And he goes, well, well, I punched a guy out there today. And I was like, that's all right. He probably deserved it. I absolve you, my son. <laughs> He's like, yeah, my pastor. And like when they heard the word priest or, 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 the, or part, they were thinking someone completely separate to themselves. And yet in Bible times, the priest had to be an ordinary man chosen from among the people. In fact, the perfect high priest had to be a, a, a person from among the people so he could represent the people before God. In fact, a perfect high priest would be a mediator. In fact, the ultimate high priest would be one who was human enough to relate to humanity and yet divine enough that he could relate to divinity. And that's why Jesus is the only perfect high priest who could ever fit the office. That's why there is no other name given among men by which we can be saved because only Jesus is the God-man, the fullness of the Godhead wrapped in flesh, fully God and yet fully man, fully in His humanity and yet fully in His divinity. Only Jesus fits the bill to represent the people before God and represent God before the people. That's why Hebrews 2.17 says, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. You know, Christmas says that Jesus didn't simply pretend to be human. Jesus didn't simply appear to be human. Jesus didn't simply temporarily put on humanness, but rather the eternal second member of the Trinity became flesh, changed his very being. There is nothing in every other religion comparable to this. Yeah. You know how people say all religions are basically the same? Ever heard someone say that? When people say that, they're only confessing that they know nothing about basically all religions because all religions are not the same. You see, in every other religious system or worldview, it tells us how we can, by our own effort, lift ourselves up to God's level. But only in the gospel of Jesus do we find a God who out of grace stoops down and comes to our level. You know, the reason why we struggle to connect with Jesus as our high priest is because we've Googled Him. Have you ever Googled Jesus? Don't do it now because uh, you'll get distracted. But when you Google Jesus, come on, we've seen this. He's got the pasty white hair. He's got the, sorry, white skin. He's got the blonde hair. He's got the blue sash. He's got the, the lamb in one hand and the harp. In the, anyone ever seen those pictures? And we're like, that Jesus looks nothing like me. Who knows Christmas carols don't help either, do they? Christmas carols do not help us with this. Away in a... Come on, help me out here. Stacey, quick, help me out. And no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lays down his sweet... All right, stop right there. Have you ever seen a newborn with a sweet head? I've seen newborns with flat heads. I've seen newborns with, like, cone heads. I've never seen a newborn with a sweet head. Come on, let's be honest. It goes on. The cattle the baby awakes, but little... That's beautiful, Corey. No crying. All right, let's just think about that. So you've got a newborn. 
I know what it's like to get our newborn to sleep. You need the monitor, the lights, right? You need everything just, just to get the newborn to sleep. You've got newborn baby Jesus. He is, he's not in a cot, he's in a feed trough. He's surrounded by animals, but apparently no crying he makes. Are you serious? Like, like little baby Jesus just wakes up and, and shakes the gold dust from his eyelashes and he sees the cows and he goes, Mary, cows, blessed are the cheesemakers. Like, we Google him, we, we sing the hymns and it puts this idea in our mind that Jesus was altogether different to us. But that is not what the Gospels say. In fact, have you ever noticed that the Gospels include these details about Jesus' life that you're like, why is that in there? That Jesus got hungry, that Jesus got thirsty, that Jesus became tired, that He was dependent, that He was time limited, that Jesus felt physical pain, that Jesus had bad hair days, that Jesus clearly had red blood. He went through sexual temptation. Jesus had to obey His parents. Jesus had siblings. In fact, He had half-brothers. Can you imagine being James, the half-brother of Jesus? Give that guy a medal because think about his childhood. Mary would come in and she's like, right, who was that? And Jesus is like, you know it wasn't me, mum. And so like imagine being James. The Bible says that Jesus was a blue collar worker for most of his adult life. If you wanted to find him, you, you wouldn't find him at the seminary. You'd find him on a building site with an ice break and a hammer in the other hand, not licking, listening to Nickelback because that's sin, but listening to like that, that would have been Jesus. Like you, you wouldn't have seen him as the Google Jesus. And some of us are like, what does that matter? What does that mean? Listen, firstly, Jesus is our prophet who speaks to us. But unless you see Jesus as the priest who connects with us, you will never understand that Jesus is the one who can walk with us through our most human moments. You see, it's Jesus, our priest, that understands our weaknesses. It's Jesus, our priest, that knows what it is to face temptation. It's Jesus, our priest, who cares for us. It's Jesus, our priest, who shares our joys, joins us in our pains. And that's why He can sympathise with us in our most human moments. Who knows, sympathy is only really meaningful or is most meaningful when someone's been through what you've been through. If after this service, there was a group of like newborn mums, hello to all the mums in the mother's room. Imagine if after the service, I went out to all the mums in the mother's room and I'm like, so, so how was your childbirth? <laughs> oh, isn't it so painful? Oh, I feel you, I feel you, yeah. Who knows, I'm gonna get slapped in the face. I'm gonna get a Will Smith slapping from those mums in the mother's room. Why? Because my sympathy is hollow. My sympathy is empty because I've never been through what they've been through. That's why the Bible says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And because of that, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I've been in church long enough to see that people feel like they can't go to Jesus in their time of need because they've only ever seen Jesus as a prophet who points out truth, but they've never seen the face of Jesus as the priest who can join them in their suffering and join them in their pain and join them in their humanity. There's a book written by the Auschwitz concentration camp survivor, Ali Wiesel, and he writes a book called Night. And he tells of one particular episode in the Auschwitz concentration camp where the Jewish prisoners were forced to watch the hanging of fellow Jewish inmates. And he tells about this particular day when he was watching a teenage boy being hung on the gallows, struggling for his life, trying to get his last breaths. 
And, and Ali Wiesel tells how during that moment, he heard a voice, a fellow prisoner just behind him, say to himself, where is God? In all of this, where is God? And Wiesel says that right there, as quick as a flash, he heard a voice speak into his heart and say, right there on the gallows, where else? Listen, it's because Jesus became our high priest that he knows what it is to suffer. For many people today, suffering and pain is their point of contention with God. I would believe in God. I would approach Jesus except for pain. How could God allow such pain to happen? And Christianity doesn't give a a, a neat, clean, shrink-wrapped answer as to why pain happens, but it does point to a person, the high priest Jesus, who came down from heaven and voluntarily directed his life towards a Roman bloody cross. The pain of the cross was so great that they invented a word to describe the pain of crucifixion. The English word excruciating comes from the Latin word, which literally means from the cross. You wanna know where is God in your pain? He is the God who enters into your pain and joins you right there in the midst of it. You know, many of us in our painful seasons, we, we, we think, well, God, you wouldn't get it. God, you wouldn't understand the pain that I've gone through. And in every other religion, God doesn't understand pain. And yet in the message of Jesus, we've got a God who understands our pain. Some of us today have been through a divorce and we say, well, Jesus, you wouldn't know the pain of separation. And yet upon the cross, He was separated from His Father. He knows the pain of abandonment and divorce. Some of us here are trying to manage a blended family and we're trying to figure all of this out. Well, think about this. Joseph was not Jesus' biological dad. Jesus could give you wisdom in managing a blended family. Some of us here have got stepbrothers and half-sisters. Jesus knows what that's like. Some of us are going through stress and we think, well, I can't pray about it. What would Jesus know? He went through such stress in Gethsemane that he sweated drops of blood. Some of us here have had friends who we thought were friends and then stabbed us in the back. And we're like, Jesus, you wouldn't understand. And he's like, hello, meet my good buddy, Judas. Jesus knows what it is to be betrayed by people that he trusted. Let, let, me, let me take this one level deeper. Some of us here know what it is to experience abuse even though we ourselves were innocent. Maybe you yourself personally or someone you love was abused because of the choices and the sin of others. That's the epicenter of the Christian message that Jesus, even though he was innocent, was abused Physically, emotionally, spiritually, he took the abuse because of the choices of other people. And so I want to suggest to you this morning, church, that pain and suffering doesn't have to be the catalyst for you running from God. When you see Jesus as your priest, pain and suffering becomes the very thing that connects you to God. You and I serve a God who, yes, He is resurrected, but with scars in His hands. And so your scars and your pain don't have to be the thing that drives you from the presence of God. It can be the thing that drives you to the presence of God, where you say there's a throne of grace, where there is a high priest who has walked where I walk and cried where I've cried and suffered what I've suffered so I can run to Him and find mercy in my time of need. Does that help anyone today? Firstly, Jesus is our prophet who speaks to us. Secondly, He's our priest who walks with us. And finally, Jesus is our King who leads us. He's our King who leads us. A number of years ago, I was um, taking a a gentleman for a tour around our Sunshine Coast church facility. And uh, he's not a churchgoer. 
and uh, doesn't typically kind of go to religious services, but he knows enough about what churches should look like that he kind of wanted to have a look. So we look around the facility and uh, we get to the end of the tour and he's like, man, beautiful facility. He goes, I've just got one question. Where are all the crosses with Jesus on them? I was like, ah, oh, dang it, I knew we forgot something. <laughs> We've got the coffee machine, we got the kids' rooms. We just, ah, oh, that's embarrassing. And, and then I realized, well, the reason we don't have a whole lot of crosses with Jesus on them is because that's not where Jesus is anymore. Like that's just a couple of hours of his existence, an important couple of hours, but he's certainly not there anymore. If you want to know what Jesus looks like today, don't look at a peasant preacher crucified upon the cross. If you want to know what Jesus looks like today, don't look at the Gospels, look at the book of Revelation, because in the book of Revelation, it shows us what Jesus looks like in his resurrected glory. Philippians says he did humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, but now, someone say now. Now God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Revelation 19:16 says, on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, which all of the people who hate tattoos have an issue with. The Bible says, if you want to see what Jesus looks like today, Revelation says he's got eyes like a flame of fire. He's got a robe dipped in blood and a tattoo on his leg like a UFC prize fighter. That's the kind of guy you don't want to mess with. And so if you've got this picture of Jesus as baby Jesus, meek and mild or beaten up Jesus upon the cross, that's not the true picture of Jesus today. The Bible says he is now the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is resurrected with all power and all authority in His hands. Just as the band come back, you know, if you look at history, Charlemagne was one of the most powerful leaders in the Middle Ages in the part of the world of Europe. And Charlemagne led a people called the Franks to rule most of Europe. And under the rule of Charlemagne, many people were baptised into the church. In fact, if you were going to be a soldier in Charlemagne's army, then you had to get baptised into the church. And so historians say that soldiers would come down to the river en masse to be baptised. But one historian says that there was something a bit unusual about the baptisms of Charlemagne's soldiers. You see, when Charlemagne's soldiers went under the waters to be baptised, they would hold their right hand out of the water. They didn't want their right hand to be baptised. They were happy to be baptised and surrender their life to Jesus, but, but, but not the right hand. They kept their right hand out of the water. The reason was the right hand was their killing hand. They needed that right hand to be able to pierce and to destroy and to kill their enemies. And I've met many people in church who say, you know what, I'm happy to surrender my life to Jesus, just not this part. I'm happy to go under the waters of baptism, but just not my wallet. Don't you dare talk about money, Pastor. I'm happy to surrender my life to Jesus, but don't you dare talk about sexuality. I'm happy to surrender my life to Jesus, but not that part of my life. But who knows, if Jesus is not the Lord of all, then He's not the Lord at all over our lives. If Jesus is our King, that means He's King over Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It means He's the King over my body, my mind, my phone, my wallet, my university degree, my car horn, my past, my present, all of my fingers, my web browser, my present, future. Every day of my life, Abraham Kuyper said this, there is not a square inch of the entire domain of human life of which Christ the Sovereign does not say, mine. Yeah. Who knows, Jesus is our prophet. Aren't you glad that He loves us enough to speak the truth? 
to us. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.